Very few people are product builders at heart, but Jeff Orr is one of them. He founded Maply to connect people to events happening in real time around them, and has helped the likes of Delta.ai and Noonlight improve their own product and experiences. He first came onto Latitude's radar as a fellow in our LF3 cohort, but I soon realized that he shared our passion and vision for emerging markets. Now Jeff is spearheading Latitude Launch and taking part in our mission by building the go-to place to launch and discover new products in Latin America. Today, Jeff and I will be chatting about shipping products faster, the no-code approach to business, how to hack growth in early stage companies. My name is Brian Reckworth, and this is Latitude Podcast. Vamos Latam. Running the leading startup community in Latin America costs money, but some people are taking notice. So I want to take a minute to thank our early supporters. At Viva Real, we were an early customer of Zendesk. Other companies like Nubank, Loft, RD Station, they all use Zendesk to keep their customers happy. Zendesk for Startups offers Zendesk software for customer service and sales for free for six months. To learn more, head to zendesk.com slash startups. Also, we're really happy to inform that Latitude Fellows now have access to a ton of extra exclusive benefits on top of the six months free, thanks to Zendesk's support of our community. Go to latitude.com to learn more about the Latitude Fellowship and apply. I learned the hard way that lo barato sale caro. If I had worked with Gunderson from the beginning, maybe our company wouldn't have had to pay $100 million in unnecessary taxes because of our corporate structure. We're lucky to have their support along with Carrie Olson and Bronstein Zilberberg in developing one of our first products, Latitude Go. We want the process of incorporating companies in Latin America to be 10 times cheaper and twice as fast. If you're starting a venture-backed company, you can check it out at go.latitude.com. I've been banking with Silicon Valley Bank for over a decade as one of their first customers in Latin America. They're committed to the region and have made great introductions over the years. We want to thank them for their support of Latitude. To learn more, visit svb.com. Now on to the episode. Hey, what's up, Jeff? How are you doing, man? Good, Brian. Good to be here. Glad you made it on here. Uh, I want to kick this off with uh, a quick little anecdote. I think it was like several months ago, if I'm not mistaken, I tweeted out, why isn't there a product hunt focused on Latin America? And then a few days later, I get this message from you in our community Slack at Latitude. And you've got a link at the end of it, but your message said something to the effect of, hey, Brian, I saw your tweet about product hunt for LATAM. And I decided to build a prototype over the weekend. Check it out. Let me know what you think. And I was like, man, this guy, he's a hustler. He just makes it happen over the weekend. Why did you feel this itch to just go from being a community member and to, to helping build the community? Yeah, no, that was a, that's a good story. I, uh, I read that tweet, I think, like on a personal level. I immediately like felt the pain. Like I had been building, building stuff in LATAM like the past year or so. And like, I'm the kind of person like, I discovered no code recently. So I've just been like, I have this problem where like I create all these things, but then, you know, you hit this problem where all of a sudden you need to launch it and like get your first customers. And I think product hunt like solves that really well, especially in the US. But, you know, I found myself like building things LATAM focused and there was no place to like go and, and launch it and like get that initial distribution. So like when I read that, it immediately clicked as something that I had like felt on a personal level. And then I also like, you know, I was LF3 in Latitude and I think there's like this ethos of like providing value and like, I noticed this within the community of like people would post, uh, there's like the Slack channel of like asks or something like that. And like anytime anyone asks a question, like, you know, can you recommend an accountant in Mexico or something? There's like 
five responses always, just like people immediately responding. So I, don't, I thought that was super cool. And I saw this as a way to like provide that value and, and, and give back. So yeah, it was, a, it was an easy decision. Yeah. I mean, like that whole give first mentality is something that we really practice at Latitude, right? It's like, you can see it in the community and it's kind of amazing when that happens because when you help other people, all of a sudden these, all these doors get opened up and you also learn when you help, right? And you, you're supporting other people. So yeah, I really was impressed by your ability to kind of just put that together and the initiative you had. Speaking of like just speed, because that happened all really quickly, you know, I read on your medium that you, uh, you and your team built and released an iOS app in just seven days. Tell us that story real quick and what were the steps taken to make it possible? Yeah, so that was like another weekend project that just ended up kind of working out. Like maybe there's something special about weekend projects. But at the time, I was uh, I was working on a product called Maply, which it was my it was my first startup, and it was basically like a like think of like a real time map to like see what's happening around you. So like we launched it South by Southwest, so you can imagine like you know a conference that takes over an entire city for five days. Like there's all this stuff going on. So Maply was a way to like aggregate all that, and so. We, we were thinking a lot about like location-based communication and we were always obsessed with like ways, like if you're a Waze user, there's like that traffic chat where you can like talk to people uh, that are in traffic ahead of you. They could be a total stranger, but you can like get this valuable information. We're like, this would be cool if like on Maply, you could like message someone, like, is there a line to get into this concert or is there like, you know, tables open to this coffee shop, stuff like that. But we didn't want to like dilute these, the, the core product experience we had built at Maply. And so the idea was like, okay, let's like, Build something super simple, uh, like over a weekend, like have to keep it really basic and just have like a, just focus purely on location-based messaging. And so I think like the ways we pulled that off is like not wasting time. I shouldn't say wasting time, but like whatever the saying, like um, perfection is the enemy of progress. Like I'm a big believer in that. Uh, you know, if you wait for something to be perfect, you're probably never going to ship it. And so that was our mentality of like, let's keep this super simple let's just focus on solving something really well which is like you know how do we how do we enable this location based communication um and it's like if we can ship this fast and people actually like it then we can spend all this other time making it perfect that'll be great um but let's figure out if people actually want it so i think you know not not letting perfection get in the way of actually shipping something was like the first big piece and then the second one is like just keeping it like super simple like solving just a single problem i remember we talked about it we were like can we can we build this thing to just have like three buttons or less? And every single button that or every single action that a user could take is like driven in some way towards they're they're getting valuable information about what's happening around them. So, you know, I think like there's other products that have done that too, like early Uber, like the whole I remember the mantra was like, you know, press a button, get a ride. Uh, like really basic. Obviously, they've scaled up since then. Um, but yeah, I think I think like those those two things is like don't wait until it's perfect, and then you know just keeping it really simple. Like I I, I feel like. People fall into this trap of waiting until stuff is perfect. The truth is, like, nothing is ever what you think it is, and you very rarely get it right on the first try. And the only way you're going to figure out is by shipping something. So that's sort of that mentality that we took to to build that. And minimizing it and directing the focus can unlock a lot of value in in a lot of products. I want to ask a follow up question about Maply, but before that, at Latitude, you're part of this this cohort a couple cohorts ago, and you know, the way we're thinking about that is there's just so many builders in LATM, so many creators now coming together. And, you know, we've kind of divided out during your cohort, we kind of bunched everyone together. That's like ideation and then like pre-seed and seed. I think that what we've learned from people like you and, and others and from feedback is that uh, there's a lot of value to having something hyper-focused 
And there's a lot of ideators out there, people that are just, that's through no code, building those initial ideas. And one thing that I think that you, you'll agree with me on, and maybe you experienced this at Maply, was that you go build something for one purpose, end up adopting for completely different goals. Maybe that happened to you, but that's also part of the journey. Would you say that's something that you've seen before or that you've experienced in you know, your building? Yeah, 100%. No, it's funny because like, so what we ended up, you know, to your last question, what we ended up doing is built this really simple product called it Map Chatter. And the next day we wake up, like we go to bed on a Sunday and then the next day we wake up like, okay, probably nothing happened. Uh, but we check the analytics and there's like hundreds of users sending thousands of messages, uh, which was funny because like we had spent like a year and thousands of dollars on Facebook ads at Maply, like trying to get the same kind of result. Um, then all of a sudden it just like totally organically just kind of occurred. And I think that was like the, the product of, you know, shipping something fast. And yeah, what, what people were doing is like, it was like, uh, we, we scrolled over, like, where are people using this? It was like all over the, the Middle East. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why it just like, uh, caught on there. So like the interface was a map and like every single user has like an emoji face on the map. So like the, the entire like Middle East, uh, region was like covered in all these different faces. And it was like, just so cool to be like, Hey, we, we just created this thing in like 48 hours and all these people are using it. And so I think there's this like, I don't know, there's like, there's like a few lessons there of like, number one, like people are going to use the product, how it serves them, not how you think it's going to serve them. So like we had all these conversations of like this, you know, this feature is going to do this. And, uh, you know, people are just going to use it for their own purpose. And, you know, you can really only learn that by shipping. And there, there's just like a big, like if you, if you pay attention to how people are using a product organically, there's, there's all these clues there. Um, so like, you know, my, my, my advice like to people that are building products is like, if you see like a small subset of users that are maybe doing something strange or unexpected, like double click on that and figure out like, what's the reason behind that? And, you know, obviously like talk to those people and like figure out why they're doing this, but see if there's a way, like, is there a better way to solve that problem? Can you scale that value to the rest of your user base? Or maybe this subset of users is the one that really you should be building for. Um, you know, I think it like kind of in preparation for this, I was, I was reading some articles about uh, Twitter's early days and like, it's a good example of an organic behavior was the hashtag. Uh, I think the story goes like, it was like, this is before hashtag was ever really a thing and people were using it like hashtag San Diego fire. Like people were just like adding that to their tweets, but it wasn't like creating an actual hashtag. It was just like a way for them to like track it. And Twitter kind of, you know, caught note of this and they're like, wow, this is like a really good way to categorize that. Um, and obviously they built that into their product roadmap and now it's, now it's everywhere. So I think the lesson there is like, pay attention to this organic behavior. It may not be something expected at all, but there's uh, there's gems there and you can build a lot of value through it. Yeah. The same thing with the retweet, right? RT uh, yeah. turned into a feature and it's a good example of listening to their users and adapting. I feel like Twitter needs to, I'm glad they, they did the, the Twitter spaces because Twitter hasn't evolved as much as I think it could have over the last decade, but it's still an incredibly useful product. And I've actually, I've been on Twitter for like 11 or 12 years, but I actually never used it until like a year ago. I was just like a lurker and now I'm kind of more active and it's, it's, uh, I'm finding it really useful and I've, I've found it like you know, incredible to connect with people. Uh, shout out to, to anyone that's, you know, wants to follow me on Twitter. I'll definitely, you know, follow you back and let's connect. And you'll have to drop your Twitter here too. We'll, we'll drop it in the show notes. But um, you've got a background in product management. And so you're used to this kind of trial and error mentality by now. How do you think that translates into you know, entrepreneurship? Yeah, that's a good question. I think like I got my crash course in like product management. I was working for a company called Moonlight based in Los Angeles. And they're like, 
like 911 as a service. Like you basically like press a button on your phone, it sends your location to a call center, and then they can like send help. So um, a lot, a lot of different use cases for that, obviously. But like when I joined, they were like they had at least a million users, um, which is like I guess like another thing. Uh, you know, a piece of advice is like if you want to get good at product management and trial and error, like joining a consumer company that like has this big audience of people because there's like so many uh, opportunities for trial and error. But they had this really good culture of, you know, if you had an idea, then anyone could have an idea. You don't have to work in product, it doesn't matter. Um, but if you have a good idea, you think it would work out, you know, document it, write it in a Google Doc or whatever, kind of write out your thinking like the, the Amazon uh, memo or whatever it is that they do there. But just like crystallize your thinking via writing. I think this is going to happen if we do this. This is how we're going to run the experiment. And then there were just tools, like a lot of times no-code tools um, or just like in-app marketing tools that people on the team could use and test out. And you know, you just you know you take like a small user group, run the experiment, see what happened. Um, and I think that was like a really good culture to learn because it taught. Like I think there's there's the obvious value of like experiments like that are they're cheap and they're fast, so that's always good with startups. Uh, but I think there's like this third really valuable thing that people probably miss sometimes is you don't get as attached to ideas when you just like spun up this experiment in a couple hours. Um, and I think there's like, I see this all the time and I've definitely, you know, fallen victim to this. If you spend months or years and tons of resources, uh, experimenting on something, there's, it's almost like the ego gets involved and like, you don't want to, no, no matter what, uh, users are telling you or what the metrics are saying, like, you, you, you kind of like, you fall in love with like this solution rather than the problem that you're trying to solve. And I think having this like trial and error mentality of like, let's do this fast. Let's just see like, is there something here? Um, then you can kind of take it to the next level and like, okay, if there is something there, great. We figured it out fast. We can build on it. If there's not, that's okay. Like we, you know, it, it took an hour of our time. It wasn't a big deal. Um, so I think like the product management trial and error experiment mentality is super valuable for entrepreneurship as well, because I think especially like early stage companies, the biggest risk you're trying to figure out is do people actually care about this? And if you can take a trial and error approach and do that fast and not spend six months and tons of resources uh, getting to the same answer that you could have gotten to in a quick, cheap experiment, then you know wh- why not do it the fast way? And if it works out, then you can really build on it after that. 100%. I totally agree with that, the trial and error piece. And You've had the opportunity to both ideate products yourself and work on making other people's vision a reality. What's the hardest between the two and why? That's a, that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, aside from the, the obvious pitfalls of, of some kinds, you know, freelance, like you deal with tough clients and all that stuff like that. But I, th- I think the big thing uh, for me, especially as like a, a maker and, and someone that loves building things is there's something like very special about building something that's your own, that's really hard to replicate. And like a, a client consultant relationship, I've been lucky. I think in you know, especially over the last year or so, to, to work with projects that like I, I really deeply care about, and I can replicate that feeling. But there is definitely something. Um, and anyone who's, who's built something before, I mean, I'm sure you can. You, you felt this before. It's like there's a certain level of passion in building something that is that is yours. Um, it's it's like that feeling, at least for me, like that that literally gets me out of bed in the morning um, when when I feel that. So I think that's. That can be a tricky part uh, for anyone that kind of like jumps from building stuff on their own to building stuff for other people. Um, so I think like the way that I've overcome that, fortunately, is like working on things where I, I can feel like I'm really having impact. I have ownership. Uh, the problem that we're solving is meaningful. So I think there's ways around it, but 
I definitely noticed that early on when I first started doing consulting stuff is like you you, you kind of miss out on that passion that you feel when you're when you're building something uh, by yourself. And I think, I mean, my 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 coping mechanism whenever I feel that way is like you know building side projects and like keeping that like maker muscle sharp or whatever. Like just going off like on a weekend and like all right, I'm I'm just going to build this thing and make sure I can still do it. Um, so if you find yourself in that position, that's what I would do. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's like the big, if I had to, if I had to narrow it down into one thing that's, that's tough about kind of jumping from side to side, that would, uh, that would definitely be it. Yeah. It, may, it makes little sense. Like there's just, there's a difference in terms of like executing on your vision of things and, you know, the motivation that's connected to that you've got, you, we build your apps.com and you know, you've set out to help those companies, you know, leverage the power of no code. Right. And you've led a session at Latitude on the, on the topic and, and, you know, contributed to the community quite a bit. Why did you choose the, the no code approach to business? Yeah. So I, I got into no code at the, at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, I, I, like many others had a lot more time on my hands all of a sudden, uh, to, to learn new stuff. And people have been talking on, on Twitter about all this no code stuff. And I remember I had tried it, you know, in the past and it wasn't that good. And then all of a sudden it's like, these tools are incredibly powerful. Um, so it really like changed my perspective, like going from someone who's like more of like a product designer by trade, not super technical. Like I did, I did a computer science minor in college and like it, it taught me basic coding, but I think like the more important thing is it made me realize that I'm never going to be a good engineer. Uh, so probably, you know, don't spend too much time focusing on that. Um, but this no code thing, it just like, it changed everything. Uh, and all of a sudden I went from this person that had, you know, all these different projects that were just like designed in Figma or whatever. They weren't really going anywhere, um, but I could, I could actually like build them. And so I think, you know, to your question of like my approach to business with no code, it just allows builders to move faster, whether you're technical or not. It, it changes the, the frame of mind from we're going to build this in, in weeks or months to like literally you can build stuff in, in, in hours or days. Um, we, I remember in that session, we did a, a challenge at the end, like the 15 minute MVP, and we built like a, a simple chat app in 15 minutes. So, um, I challenge anyone to, to build it faster in code. I would love to see it. Uh, but it just kind of proves the point, right? Of like, no code is, is super fast. And I think a lot of companies I work with or I've worked with are early stage and they're just trying to figure out like that big risk. Does anyone even care enough to use this product? And if you can build it in no code and do it in, in a fraction of the time for a fraction of the cost, you're going to save a ton of money and get to the same conclusion as if you went the more traditional route. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's nothing against like, you know, engineering. I mean, so my best friends are engineers. Like I, 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 I think it's an incredibly important path, but, um, if you can prove something in no code and do it super fast and relatively inexpensive, then you realize you have something and then you can go on and, and take the more traditional path and, and, and hire an engineering team, raise money, whatever it is you need to do. Um, but yeah, just, just no code. It, it, it really speeds things up. So I think it's a really good approach. Yeah, I mean the the counterexample of that is I spent eight or nine months building this like crazy product, you know, a blogging platform a long time ago, and then we launched it and no one used it. And I probably should have done some deeper customer discovery, and I could have launched most of it at the time. There wasn't a lot of great no code products like there is today, but still, there is probably smarter ways to test things. The whole lean startup movement is has been a huge boon for founders and accelerated the learning. And then no code is kind of an extension of that. And it's even made it easier to test and validate things quicker and, and understand if there's demand for things. So one quick question, what are your favorite no code tools? Why? What do you think you know founders should be tinkering with? Let's call them 
makers that are maybe not quite in the building stage yet, but are are testing and evaluating ideas. Maybe they're still working uh, at full time, you know, full time jobs, and they're they're planning on jumping ship, but they haven't done it yet. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to shout out to uh, Adelo. Hopefully, I'm saying that right, uh, and I'll send you the link too, so we can put it in the show notes or however you do it. Uh, but Adelo is amazing, and Bubble is super good as well. Uh, I, I learned on Bubble, and you could just do like just crazy powerful things uh, using both those tools. So if you're in that stage, I, I highly recommend both those tools. Cool. We'll drop those in the, in the show notes. And then, you know, speaking of kind of this evolution of early stage startups and, you know, kind of how things have evolved, most of the teams that you've worked with were remote, which obviously, you know, during the pandemic, there wasn't an option. Um, some people have stuck with the remote. Some people are going back to work. But, you know, how did remote work play a part in choosing LATAM as your, your kind of next target? Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of remote work. Um, so I, I guess like a bit of background. So after Maply, which we talked about earlier, uh, it, it actually ended up not not working out. Like we we raised some money, hired a team, worked on it for for about three years, and uh, we ended up you know shutting down. And so I was in this like state of limbo where you know I, I had graduated college, I was like you know had raised money for the startup, had moved to Austin with some of my best friends, and it was like obviously like the, the, the highs. Uh, the high highs uh, that, that I know you, you mentioned the, the high highs and the low lows, uh, but it, it was sort of this situation where we shut the company down. Uh, I had to pack up all my things, move from Austin, drive back in like this rented U-Haul to my parents' house. Uh, it definitely wasn't like a, a high point in my life, and I was just like, I don't know, you know, what I'm going to do here. And you know, my I had a good friend. She was living in Madrid at the time, and she was like, Hey, like if you, you know, if you could buy a plane ticket out here, you can just stay with me. And so, so that was in the back of my mind. And then, you know, my dad, who I have a ton of respect for, uh, he spent, you know, his early, early mid twenties actually in Asia, uh, like on the ground building cell phone towers. So I'd always had this, like this itch in the back of my mind or like this, this thought of like, you know, working outside of the U S. And so, uh, you know, I had enough money to, to buy a trip out to Spain to, to see my friend. And I remember being in a bar in Barcelona and I got this PayPal notification. It was the first time I'd ever like made actual money. Uh, from a client online, and there was just like this epiphany in my mind of like I can I can make a living on the internet and hopefully never have to go back into an office again. And so um, after that, it just kind of snowballed. Like started booking more clients, could afford to travel more, and then ended up you know after after going to Spain, I ended up uh, had heard great things about Mexico City, so went and lived there, traveled all around Latam, uh, spent time in Santiago, Buenos Aires, Rio, and I just kind of fell in love with like not only the culture but also the people that I was meeting like. All the clients and people I was working with were mostly U.S. based, but I was working out of co-working shops or, or co-working spaces and coffee shops, and going to events and meeting people that were building stuff for Latam. And it just it just kind of clicked. Like there were there were all these incredible opportunities and and people that were building great products. That I, I I guess like growing up in the U.S., my perspective was always like, okay, I'm going to stay and work in the U.S. for the rest of my life. And then I realized like that that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. And there's all these insanely huge challenges and opportunities in LATAM. And so it all just kind of clicked and, and worked out. Yeah, I think it's, I don't remember if it was David Vell or someone that said in the Silicon Valley, they're kind of, you're kind of building for the 1%. And in Latin America, you're building for the 99%, right? And there's so many opportunities. And then other, another thing that I actually had an awareness about early on when I ended up living in Bogota, Colombia, I was 23, 24, uh, had a little bit of savings, which, you know, had been dwindling. But I also identified that I like my personal burn rate was much more manageable living in Bogota, Colombia. I mean, I remember having an apartment, 
I think my total cost of living uh, monthly at the time was like 600, 700 bucks a month. And it's just like your personal burn rate as you try to get get your thing going is much more affordable if you're if you're in Medellin or fill in the blank uh, than living in San Francisco or New York. So for me, it's like a no brainer if you're an early stage founder and you want to build something. There's a plethora of challenges in the region, and there's a lot of talent, and that's one of the reasons why we have you know latitude is to kind of help those early stage founders that are just scratch an itch on entrepreneurship and have some big ideas they want to test out. Um, that's kind of one of our programs that, you know, that we've launched and we're going to continue to invest in that as well as other programs for founders that are already kind of raising capital and growing a team. But um, out of that was born Latitude Launch, which uh, let's transition to that because going back to the first kind of question I had for you about you pulling that together over the weekend and, and getting, you know, that kind of kind of MVP um, you know, and so you brought that thing to life. Tell us a little bit about the product. Yeah, of course. So there's really two sides that, that we think about. On one side, you have makers or people that are building products that want to get discovered. So you spend all this time building this awesome thing, and then you have to figure out a very challenging part, which is the distribution. And so Latitude launches this place where you can go on, you can add your product in five minutes, and then automatically get plugged into this community of thousands of people that that are interested in products in LATAM. So you know, think about getting your first customers, first investors, or or just like just that feedback, like super valuable early stage feedback. Um, all that you can find at Latitude Launch. And then on the other side, you have explorers or just people. They might not necessarily be building things, but they're interested in what's getting built. So these are just like this could be talent. This could be people that are just like early adopter types. It could be investors, media, whatever. Latitude Launch is this place where they can go. They can find all this in one place. And I think. You know, as, as we serve both those sides, it's really all about like bridging this gap. And and I think the underlying thing is, and you know, obviously a ton about this with with Latitude, but it's it's building this community that's passionate about products in LATAM, and you know, in some ways, like creating more serendipity for these people to come together and and make great things happen. I love that, and it, distribution is one of the big challenges. What's one thing that you want to make better about Latitude Launch? I mean, we've been working on it for not a super long time, but it's already gotten some good traction and got the attention of a handful of founders and people that are interested in finding the next thing. And what's one thing that you feel like we need to just make better like in the, in the short term? Yeah, I mean, like you said, we're, we're pretty early, so it's early stage right now. But I think we, we've got a pretty good uh, a base. And what I really want to focus on is how do we kind of scale that community up? Like Product Hunt has done a really good job of this where it's a community of like obviously at face value you go and you could see products uh, or launch products but like i said at, at a deeper level there's this community there and so i want to i want to find a way to to create that community and scale that community um but then going back to what i said earlier like if there was a, a metric that i could choose and it's it's kind of an ambiguous one so maybe it's not the best but it's it's the serendipity so how do we create things how do we engineer them how do we how do we build stuff that Creates that serendipity so that, you know, again, like, like going back to the first customer idea. Um, how do we build stuff where it's, it makes it even easier for an early stage builder to get their first customer or to find their first investor, uh, or to find their first, uh, hire, whatever it is. Um, so, so whatever we can do to scale that community and increase the serendipity, that's, that's really what I'm focusing on. I love that. You know, we, we talk a lot about latitude and probably some of the, you know, some of the problems we're solving and, you know, one of them is just getting off the ground and, and starting, right? You know, we're launching a product pretty soon, a Latitude Go. 
But other challenges, like every founder has the challenge of like, okay, finding your first customers. It's like, that's a major challenge. Finding capital, in, in some cases, if you're raising raising money, if you're building a venture-backed business, you know, and you have an ambitious idea, you need to find capital. And then lastly, finding talent. All three of those things in particular, customers, capital, and talent, those are, those are very challenging things. So, uh, you know, I, I think that the Latitude Launch can really uh, help those users find those initial customers and get feedback. So how can Latitude Launch uh, be used to, to hack growth in early stage companies for those listeners that are, maybe you're a product manager at an established company and you have a product launch, you know, maybe you're just launched a, uh, an initial product, you know, in Bogota, Colombia, and you want to get some feedback, or maybe you're in Buenos Aires or wherever. What are uh, some things that people can do to kind of hack some growth initially in, in early stage companies and, and how can Latitude Launch help? Yeah, I mean, I think at this stage, it's, it's kind of a no brainer. You know, it's a, the potential upside for spending five or 10 minutes of, of adding your product. Obviously, there's, there's more time afterwards in the sharing and, and actually getting people to go and upvote it. Um, but the potential upside where, again, we're still early, but you're still talking about, you're getting your product in front of you know, thousands of people. Uh, eventually, it'll be tens, hundreds of thousands. But at this stage, like thousands of people is pretty cool, uh, especially when it's such a targeted audience of people that you know, really care about LATAM products. So I think from like a, a hacking growth standpoint, it's just a very easy win of if you're building something interesting and you think people want to want to experience it or check it out, then there's really no downside to to adding it uh, and, and becoming a part of that community. So I think like at a company level, it's like it's just an easy like kind of no brainer, at least from my perspective. Of course, I'm biased, but um, I, I think on on more of an individual level as well. Like if you think about like career leverage or career growth, like look at the early product hunt users that really contributed a lot to that community in the early days. Like I'm thinking like the, the Chris Messinas, uh, Peter Levels. These, these are people that were super early on, obviously like incredibly talented. They were going to be successful regardless, but they kind of were, were on this early product hunt wagon and now they're, they're like icons in, in the product world. And again, obviously I'm biased, but I, I, have, uh, I have high expectations for, for where Latitude Launch is going. And you know, if you're early in that community and you're providing valuable, valuable uh, you know, you're providing value, then there, there, there's just tremendous upside. So that, that's kind of the way that, that I think about it. That's awesome, man. It's launch.latitude.com for anyone listening. And Jeff, man, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, it's fun to, uh, to see when all the serendipity that happens at Latitude, right? Like there's just, we've met so many great people that come through the community and it's really like a supportive community that is really trying to elevate the next generation. And so I love how you've always been, you know, focused on giving back, supporting other founders, other, you know, people that are in the startup scene. And, uh, you know, you're, you really speak to the kind of the essence of what we're trying to build in, in terms of our community. So thank you for being part of it. And thank you for having me on. It's been an honor to, uh, to be here. And it's been awesome getting to, to know you and the team. You guys are doing awesome things. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to the Latitude Podcast with Jeff Four, founder of We Build Your Apps and creator of Latitude Launch. Be sure to check out launch.latitude.com to stay up to date with product launches in Latin America and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts for more talks with great founders like him. I'm your host, Brian Reckworth. Vamos Latam. See you next week.